quick. What's your license plate number? What did you have for lunch? And what's the title of your favorite song? There's a good chance that you don't actually remember the answers to any of these questions. You might have to think about it a little bit, contemplate it, or recall some information that might remind you of what you had. Take, for example, your lunch. It might be easier to remember what you had for lunch if you think about where you were when you ate that lunch, who you were with, some of the other memories that are associated with it. And the reason that we don't remember these things right away is a little bit complicated. It's all about our memory. My name is Louis Colavertolo, and I'm a student at the University of Guelph in the Food Science Department doing a whole bunch of things that maybe will get me a food science PhD in, I don't know, 20 or 30 years from now. One thing I like to do to procrastinate from getting my PhD is have casual conversations with other graduate students who are in the STEM fields just about what they study and how it has any effect in my daily life. Today, I'm going to talk with Natasha De La Rosa, who knows a whole lot of stuff about memory. I would have to say, personally, my memory's not so good. My name is Louis Colorotolo, and I'm a student at the University of Guelph Food Science Department trying to get a PhD in... Natasha and I will be having a conversation about memory. What memory is, how it's stored in your brain, and how we can potentially even train our brain to be better at remembering things. This conversation is going to be cool, candid, and casual. We're not about to lecture you about memory, we're just going to have a chat about it. So hopefully you enjoyed this discussion that I had with Natasha the other day. And while listening, consider the fact that we're grad students and we don't know everything, which is why you're listening to We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Natasha. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing today? I am doing quite good over here. Can you do us a favor and walk us through your educational history? Yes, totally. So I started as a biochemist at the University of Houston, where I graduated with a bachelor's in science. And now I am doing my doctoral degree in the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Um, and I study neuroscience and behavior. All right, so that's kind of a jump over there from you got biochemistry all the way to neuroscience. I know yeah. they're kind of related. A little bit. All right. A little bit. <laughs> you today are gonna to talk to us about something that I find absolutely fascinating. We're going to talk about memory. Yes. So, okay, um, I don't want to be, like, right off the bat giving you the hard questions, but what is memory? So, so memory is just how we learn and store um, events, objects, things, um, everything that we sense. So we know that we have at least five senses, so that is, like, taste, I mean, addition, addition, smell, and all these things. And so through these senses, we gather up information and we store them in our brain. And that process of storage and recalling these past events is what we call memory. So that's what memory is. It just, is, to me, it seems like such an abstract kind of concept. It is pretty abstract. I thought it was pretty abstract, too, coming from a biochemistry perspective. But um, I think it makes a lot more sense when we think about it, as I just kind of described, as opposed to like, oh, it's this cognitive process that is different from 
other cognitive process and you're just like, what are all these words? Uh, yeah, I definitely don't know those words either. When I'm thinking right. of memory, I'm just thinking like, oh yeah, there's that little guy up here in my brain and he talks. Yeah. He talks a lot. And sometimes he's good at remembering things and sometimes he's bad at remembering things. Agreed. But I can't turn him off. And that's what I think of when I think of memory. I, you study memory. I do. So, <laughs> once again, hard question coming up. How do you study memory? What is, what is this nonsense? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways in which we can study memory. So I study memory in humans, um, which is entirely non-invasive. So I do not get in anyone's head. Yeah, well, hey, physically, <laughs> you don't get in anyone's head. Yes, correct. <laughs> Um, yes, fine print. Yeah, so the way that we study memory, I mean, the way that we study memory is, um, so I can take pictures of the brain through what this thing called like um, magnetic resonance imaging. So it's, it's like M MRI, which sometimes people get for different things. Like you can take pictures of your liver, just like pictures of your brain, just things that are inside your body that normally we wouldn't have access to. Um, and that's how we study um memory in at least that's how i study memory there's other ways that we can study memory we can study memory through behavior so like how likely are people to correct to like correctly um recall something so if i ask you oh have you seen this phone before you might say no and you would be correct so that like that type of measurement of like accuracy we can like check how good um how good um function of memory is on people if that makes sense so when you collect this data and you look at memory and you ask me, have you seen this phone? Me saying yes. Can you put numbers behind that? What I'm what I'm asking is, can we make this quantitative? Can we count? Yes. So um, so that would be one question. And so whether you, if you answer yes or no, that would be that can be represented as a zero or one. I can present you a lot of let's say I can present you a lot of words and then you can say Oh, I have seen this word before. I have not seen this word before. And then there will be some words that you have that we know that you have seen before, but there will be some words that we know that you definitely have not seen before. We can have many questions. And for each question, we would have like a zero or a one. That would be a yes or a no, your response. And then we can create like two different distributions, I guess, like two different groups of the times that you said yes and the times that you said no. And then which ones were correct and which ones were incorrect. And then the, depending on the difference between these two groups, we can like kind of gauge how good your memory is for words in that in, in this case. All right, so, so let's flush this one out a little bit. Let's say you give me a list of words and I say either I remember them or I don't remember them. But then it's possible that I say that I remember them, but I don't actually remember yeah. them. Is that is that an option? Yes. Yeah, so we actually oh, that would be like a what we call like a a false positive technically. Okay. So it's like we we kind of take like the same we use like similar you could say models. We use use similar models um, like in diagnostics, like how many false positive and how many actually correct you have, and from this we can create this like sensitivity index just this index that tells you how far apart is the signal which is like your true corrects from the noise which i mean which includes like those false positive like 
oh, you said yes, but you actually didn't see it. And so that's how we construct these two. Um, to, to some degree, every person in these studies, they're going to have kind of like a different kind of a truth index. Correct. Yes. Okay, so my truth index might not be the same as yours. Exactly, yeah. And mine would probably be, like, very, very low, as in, like, very bad. So, wait, so you're telling me right now that you think you remember a lot of things no, and you don't remember? No, the contrary, the other way. So the lower the number, the closer these groups are, I don't want to say the worse your memory is, but that is that would be the, the way to say it. On the number scale, the less good number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, AKA, my memory is terrible, ironically, but I study it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then someone's got it, right? Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, all right. So, memory, right? We, we talked about knowing a word and not knowing a word. Like, all right, whatever. That's boring. Let's, like, dig into memory as it is. Because you can, you know, remember an event, like you said. You can remember a smell. You can remember a taste. You can remember a thought. How do we remember? That is a good question. How do we remember? So different types of events. So let's say like autobiographical events. So that time that it was your birthday, like mm -hmm. you can remember that is probably stored in somewhere like the hippocampus which is like this structure in the brain in the middle of the brain that looks like a seahorse uh in reverse yeah you maybe have seen it maybe not but um so that's a type of memory so this autobiographical memory we need to it's stored in this part of the brain and so in order to to remember this event, you would need to have this structure. And so you would need to have this region of the brain that is like healthy in order to be able to, re to recall it. But then how does it happen molecularly, I guess, like at the level of the neurons is still um, kind of a mystery, we could say, because it kind of brings a lot of other functions. All right, so, so we got the brain. And I, I feel as if a lot of people at some point have seen kind of like a diagram of the structure of the brain. And right off the top of my head, all I can remember is the frontal lobe, the hippocampus, and the maligamama, the ligama. The amygdala. That one. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. And I remember that. You tell, see, right? Yeah. We're getting meta right now. I remember that one. That's good. So, yeah, so, example, so as I was saying, so the hippocampus is very, like, um, related to storing these, autobiographical memories in this like very complex um like very um like events that have a lot of associative um uh, features attached to it a lot of associative cues so let's say like a smell and a, a time a place uh, so those would be like starting the hippocampus that's what we know but then an event like let's say or let's say a fear memory so let's say that time that you saw a snake and it like terrified you that might activate the amygdala because the amygdala is like known or it has been suggested to store these fear memories these memories that are related to like fear or emotions or like even like positive memories you yeah so it's like this so the brain has like all these structures that where we can like store different types of memories that's crazy. So, like, obviously the brain is segmented to some degree. It's this big, lumpy, pink thing. Yeah. Um, and 
And and you're telling me that like different regions of the brain are actually like responsible for storing specific types of memories? That's how I would look at it. Yes. Yes. And so like let's say like if a person um probably like a, a lot of people know and maybe and maybe that they don't know and now you know as um this person is called HM. Uh he had epilepsy. And uh, he had so much epilepsy that the doctors had to remove a lot of his, like, medial temporal lobes and, like, hippocampus. So the, the medial temporal lobes are, like, the regions that are, like, around the hippocampus. So, like, the doctors removed the hippocampus and the amygdala and a lot of these regions surround it. And so at the end of the surgery, um, this person could no longer, like, store new memories it, and I could no longer um, remember a lot of his past old memories a lot of like his past old memory as in like autobiographical memories he couldn't remember a lot of his own memories so that kind of like that kind of hinted us that the hippocampus is very important for these memories about ourselves okay so so this was a study like years and years ago yeah yeah it was like a it was like um an observational study you could say yeah Okay, and um, uh, could you explain what epilepsy is real quickly? Um, yeah, so epilepsy is like this brain disorder where the brain is like just like hyper excited, I guess. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of activity and it it can make people like have convulsions, I guess, because of all this activity in the brain that is not being tempered down or controlled, and so this can lead to damage or like or neurotoxicity as well because the brain is like in this like hyperactive state. Okay, so, well, then let's use this as a moment to jump off and talk about damage, right? Because there are a lot of uh, brain trauma kind of uh, types of damage mm-hmm. out there, right? You hit your head real hard. We've all seen a soap opera or a bad TV show where they hit their head and they immediately forget their entire being and their entire past. Is that ridiculous? Is that possible? Oh my gosh, so yes, I was going to actually say that um, usually these TV shows and these soap operas get this um, these amnesia wrong. As in, mm-hmm. like, you usually remember, if you if you do hit your head and you can't remember your past, you usually can remember things that happened recently, but you would definitely be able to remember, like, past things, like your childhood and, like, maybe, like, the 15 years of your life, but... So they kind of like present amnesia reversely. So it's like they can remember recent things, but they can't remember where they came from. Like, that's not how it goes. <laughs> right. Uh, there's that element of mystery. Like off the top of my head, I could probably think of like 30 different shows that use amnesia as like a plot point. Yes. Like uh, I remember like Full House, the youngest one, Michelle, she like lost her memory near the very end of the the series the series was coming to an end and and the poor thing like lost her memory and everyone's like is michelle gonna get better but then they realized they were getting canceled so they were just like the next step was like oh she's back to normal (laughs) that's so funny but um yeah it also reminds me i think the movie is called jason Bourne. maybe oh yes uh, all of those yeah those are good it is funny like i didn't know that until i started to study memory yeah, and uh, they use it a lot of times in, like, cop shows where it's like, oh, I can't remember anything. But wait, I'm having a vision of <laughs> yeah. something that happened. Recently, yes. A- yeah, like, oh, I remember a red shirt and a cigarette. 
<laughs> that is so funny. Yes. But but it's, it's you said that if if anything through amnesia you're losing the more recent memories. Yeah. So like the the person that we were that we were talking about earlier, uh, this person H M. Um, yeah. So he could remember like the first fifteen years of his life, and he could only and but he couldn't remember like the recent things like, and so and so this hint us as like the brain kind of like takes some time to really consolidate these memories and recent memories can be like memories from like five years ago or three years ago it's still not clear um what's the range there okay so it's it's kind of a gray area situation to this day yes all right so then uh i'm gonna do sneak attack you right now what did you have for breakfast (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i don't think i had anything maybe i think it was coffee were you were i did you remember that correctly Yes. Like, what's your index? You already told me that you're not good at remembering, so, like, should I believe you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Okay, I won't believe you. So, that brings me to a question. When it comes to remembering things, sometimes we have to take a while to remember it. We have to, like, work to remember something. What really is going on here? We're searching for information in our brain. How does that play out in science? So sometimes it can be harder to look for information in the brain because um, you have like more interference, you, you could say, from other memories and events. So like example, like you were saying, like, what did I have this morning? It's very difficult to say, to remember, like, what do you have this morning and what do you have the morning before? Because it's an event that happens a lot. And so you're going to have so many of these events that share so many um, cues that um that pinpointing or recalling a specific event that that has so much uh, in common with other events it's going to be harder but then an event that it's like salient or an event that has like um cues or features that are that are memorable <laughs> and, um hence the redundancy would be like the concert that you went to that you don't go that that much often especially now that we can go out um what else um like that time that you had your first kiss like that's probably something memorable because very memorable because it had like um emotions it was your first time and it was like although it might be in a very common scenario it has a lot of distinct cues that differentiate it from other events and so it might be easier to recall all right, so that's interesting. You know, depending on how quote unquote important something is to you, you might be able to remember it. Like your breakfast this morning wasn't that important. Therefore, it, it was not something that you're able to easily recall. But then here is another sneak attack. Do you remember your childhood phone number? Mm, sometimes, right? Because I mean, it depends on the person, right? Let's say a person created a song with their childhood phone number, then that has more cues than that. That'd be a good song. Yeah, like 8675305. Is that that Jenny's number? 304? There we go. I don't know. 8675309. 309, see? There we go. We got it. We can now call Jenny. But yeah, so yeah, it depends. Because if you didn't have like a song with it or if, you have so many other numbers that it might be hard to remember that specific sequence because you have seen so many other sequences of numbers that there's a lot of interference, as I would say. 
or as many as many would say. Uh, yeah, yes, I see. So that interference, and 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 speaking of that interference, that that sort of short-term interference, like when someone gives me a phone number and I have to go from like the text message to typing it into the phone, I have to look like five times. Yes. Like I can't remember seven numbers in a row. That it it, it is so difficult for me. Is there any you know kind of explanation for that? There is. Many explanations, I guess. I if I could, like one of them is that we, I think we probably all rely a lot on our phones, and we are not like mm-hmm. practicing like our memory, I guess, or like I guess our short-term memory. I, there's like different types of memory, and so um, they all require your attention to different extents. And so, remembering a number. From text message to your to your address book might be a little hard since if you don't practice, if, yeah, if you don't practice those skills, like the brain, the brain is, is a muscle like anything else. It's a it's something that you try to to use. If you don't use it, you lose it, and so that is one of the ways that you can um, mitigate memory loss as you age. Is like to, to try to like do these games, like these memory games, and like try to 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 use your brain in other ways like puzzles or like socialize because socialization has like a big component in our brain as well and so that's why it helps us like age more gracefully cognitively in that matter anyway yeah so let's let's dive into training your brain like uh, we've probably have all heard that phrase before train your brain or your brain is a muscle yeah, and I guess that is true. That blob of pink stuff is a muscle, technically. I mean, I I, I don't know. Is it uh, well, a muscle, or is I that guess, just the same? I guess technically, I think it's just more is more of a same because I guess technically, by definition, a muscle is only something that is like composed of motor cells, and technically, brains is like neurons, and so they have different names. So technically, they are different things and different Gosh, organs. Scientists, they make a, they try to find anything to make something difficult, don't yeah, they? Yeah, it's a lot of labels, but yeah, there's just all cells, and they have different specialties. Okay, fair enough. Alright, alright. But we, we are talking about training your brain. I remember, you know, when f- smartphones first were, you know, doing apps and games, there was always these advertisements like, oh, I do Sudoku on my phone, it makes me so much smarter you know things like that everyone was talking about the brain games that they play um and those have played out over you know years and years and years is there anything you know behind those like do these things help your brain i mean i wouldn't say blanket all of them but i think some of them do like especially those those memory games like i wouldn't i'm not sure about the other ones that they advertise but the memory ones like that is how you get better, that you're trying to, like, remember more stuff. And another way that you can help you, and that can help you, like, you can help yourself remember more stuff is by trying to um, learn that something in various ways. So let's say that you're trying to study for an exam and you just read the material all the time. Another way that you can probably learn the material is by testing yourself. And so... By having different, um, like I said, different different cues that different differentiate that event, it's easier to remember. And so you you're just trying to 
I guess, be in the moment. Right. So I've heard, you know, like, oh, try drawing a picture of, you know, the term that you're trying to study. Or uh, what about like using a mnemonic device? Right, right, right. So yeah, a picture would be great. So it's like, how do you like, it would be easier. It's easier to recognize words that you can imagine. So then like, it's easier to recognize the word horse than something abstract like middle. Wow. Because it's easier to imagine. That's like what, weirdly abstract. Wow. Okay, now I'm thinking about it. How would one describe the word middle? Right. It's just like Whoa. <laughs> mind blown. Okay, moving on. I don't I don't have the capacity to deal with this right now. I'm having an existential <laughs> crisis. Move on. So, okay, so you were saying image might be more helpful in order to understand sort of a, a, a different topic. So we can train our brain by kind of uh, diversifying, would you say, the way that we learn something? Yes. Yeah, so I wouldn't say train your brain, but I would say, like, um, give, you're giving yourself more more cues and more mnemonics to like learn something so that specific something it's like you're training on that specific something but um if you want to train your brain overall just like helping you retain more information at a given time then these then games like memory cards and like and things like that could help just because you're not really trying to like um learn what's on the cards but you really you're just trying to like retain more information at a given time right like with the matching games you know if i play a matching game today i don't care that the card in the upper left and the card at the bottom are both the red cherry that's not important to me i'm growing the skill to be able to remember which card is where yes right exactly it's like the skill of like retaining more information it's like okay i remember that the red thing was on the left and I do remember that for some moment of time. Because it, where that cherry is after a few days doesn't matter, but you're kind of, you're, you're building a skill. Correct. And yes. where would this skill be important? Is it just remembering like, oh, I forgot to bring my grocery list to the store. Maybe if I remember physically writing out the grocery list, I can remember, oh yeah, I remember I needed cheese. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with lists. Like I, I use lists all the time. Um, it's the things that help you, right? Because you still have to remember to like write this list, like before you head out, which I also forget. It's like it's like remembering to grab your your bath, your reusable bath before you go to the store. So then, people can be forgetful. Is that because they have bad memories? They haven't trained. What what is a forgetful person? Can we put words behind that? Forgetfulness can happen for many reasons. It can be because you didn't attend to it to something well enough to like store it or it can be because you are having some deterioration in your brain and like you are losing some neurons um so so let's say like when you drink a lot of alcohol and you can't remember the next day it's most likely that you can remember because those memories were never stored in your brain interesting okay as opposed to like if you have as opposed to like when as you age you start to like lose some neurons you then your memory is your memory um, skills are gonna be um, less than before but that's because you have less resources to to get from you know you have less resources as opposed to like you didn't store something well Mm, so it's kind of like a hardware issue as you age 
yes. we have less of the, the the parts that make the memories you know stick together mm-hmm. i had a friend who every single time we would go out to either a bar or something we'd always have to do a check we would say phone keys wallet id now we had to add the id step because you know it never meant that his id was actually in his wallet because (laughs) time after time after time after time he would forget something and it would be a man oh now we gotta go back or oh he can't get into the bar because he doesn't have his id and it was again and again and again and again and again so we developed this kind of you know system the phone key wallet id which i think a lot of people use i i definitely to myself before i leave i always think pkw phone key wallet yes now here's a new one now this is very corona special what about mask phone keys wallet mask I am forgetting my mask all the time now. It's it's almost like it's no longer novel. You know, when we were going out back in like April, it was like, oh my God, I have to have my mask. Maybe I have to have two. But now I'm just kind of like always forgetting my mask. I have to turn around so often because I don't have a mask. Yes, I, I can agree with that. I'm usually like leaving my phone somewhere or my mask too. I think I, I have left my mask at every everywhere i go i yeah. think and i not like not like like let's say like if i go to a friend's house or something like i leave my mask there or something it's just like very forgetful um i don't know i think i think it would depend on the person though like i feel like some people would be forgetful and some people might be like very conscientious of like i have to wear my mask because there is something out there like i think it, it can be it can go both ways so it to some degree kind of relies on you as a person is what you're saying for the masks thing yes for for, well well, anything i mean like i if i'm thinking if i'm remembering uh uh-huh see that's what we're talking about remembering so if i'm remembering you know things that are important to me like i know that when i stay over someone's house for the night or if i go and i stay at a hotel i always do a very thorough check to make sure that i haven't left anything behind very thorough and that i think comes from this one time i accidentally i was staying at a hotel with my family and i was uh, in the room with my brother and we were younger i he asked like oh did you pack my you know my childhood stuff animal this very important stuff animal and i was like yeah 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 sure sure um (laughs) and i didn't oh and it was just this like heartbreaking thing and we they eventually returned the stuff animal to us they had to ship it across the country Oh, God. <laughs> but I feel as if that kind of like was like almost a trauma experience to me. And now whenever I go anywhere and I stay the night, I always do a thorough sweep to make sure that I have not left anything. I open drawers. I go under the bed. I'm always very, you know, attentive to that. Yeah, negative experience you do tend to, tend to remember uh, more easily. <laughs> yeah, so that negative experience like trained my brain. Is that possible? I mean, yeah, it definitely marked you. It's something that you're in. It has, like, that emotional component, too. So it's, like, it is something that you're going to remember. And that is very salient on your brain. That it is very distinctive from other memories. You don't want to feel like that anymore. You don't want to go. It's not rewarding, either. There's many reasons why you, the, the brain would want you to remember that. The brain is so weird. I mean, like, I get it. You study it. Whatever. Brain is weird. But the brain right now is telling you these things 
Yeah. This is like where we got layers and layers of this stuff. And I, I don't honestly, I don't think we got enough time to go into it. <laughs> so could you, and if at all possible, could you give us in like two minutes, could you explain your research? Yes, I think so. So go for it. Um, so I study humans, as I said, and I take pictures of the brain using this uh, big magnet. Um, and I study visual, I study visual memory. And so this is very important because, um, like I was saying, the way that you can, the way that if the brain is like a muscle. And so if you, if you can understand, if you can, if we can understand what each area of the brain is representing, um, and then we can actually try to exercise these, these areas. And then we can actually like have a better chance of like combating these like memory loss as we age because we know um, what we can tackle and what we cannot tackle um, by knowing what, what each brain area is representing. So I focus on, um, on visual objects and visual memories and where are those represented in the brain. Interesting. Do you have any like preliminary finding? Like what part of that squishy brain keeps the images? Do you know? Yeah, well, it depends, yes. So like I was saying, so, Autobiographical memories tend to be very complex, very visual, and, and very associative with other other features. And so they tend to be further along the brain, like further inside, like in the hippocampus. But this type of the type of stimuli, the type of images that I study are very abstract, very simple. They're only black and white. And so we're trying to see where is the where is long-term memory for these type of um, simple images. And so our preliminary results show that it's probably in the visual cortex, so like early in the visual cortex, so in the back of your head, uh, that these images are stored, as opposed to like autobiographical memories that are more known to be stored on the hippocampus. So there is like this, um, like this hierarchy, you could say, of representations along the brain. Interesting. Are, so everything's yeah. not, you know, in this like tight little compartment in your brain. This is just autobiographical. This is just visual. There's a little bit of everything everywhere, but mainly focused in certain areas. Very complex. And there are all all these other things that you have to um, think about, right? Because as humans, visual things are are important to us, but, and and auditory things, and like addition, like sounds are not as, as, as memorable to us as like an animal with better hearing. Like mm. maybe these animals have better memories for sounds as opposed to images. That's like interesting. So like, right? Because there's uh, animals that don't have as good vision. Yeah. But uh, what about the animals that use like echolocation? I imagine they have a different kind of memory capability. Yeah, I can I can only imagine that they have like a very special memory for like this echolocation representation. So like and they can go back to it. It's not just about the sense of direction but also remembering those spaces that are safest to those animals. Interesting. So we develop our memories based on a lot of different factors and since you study humans you can only really speak to that, but I didn't even think about it that like, well, I know that the brains are different sizes of all these animals, but I never thought of them as being like structured differently. Oh yes, actually, I think it's zebra finches, which is like a type of bird. Their brain actually doesn't have like, it's not wrinkly at all. It's very smooth, mm. which is very weird, but yes. 
I, yeah, I feel, like, and, and I have no idea, but but I feel it's like wrinkles are good, right? I mean, I don't know, because birds have some pretty amazing capabilities, like um, learning songs and yeah. producing new songs. Interesting. So, oh, gosh, wow. What, it, what that, that seems like a topic for another day kind of situation. So then to finally cap everything out, why bother researching what you do? Like what? Okay. Why are we, why are we using grant money on your research? Just so we can know more stuff? Uh, no. Well, actually, no, like, as I was saying earlier, um, if we know how, like, how is the brain organized and what is the logic, like, how, if we know how the brain is organized and the logic behind it, that we can actually get better diagnoses and therapeutics for people that do have deficits in these areas. There are different. There are different um, reasons why we have memory loss. It's not all due because of Alzheimer's, or it's not all due because of um, other types of genetic diseases. You know, simply uh, simply by not exercising enough, you can have like um, memory loss due to like poor vascularization. Um, this is why we study memory, because um, memory is all over the brain, and so it's a it's it's a huge organ that we still don't know entirely of and so the more that we know about it the the better that we can tackle these memory disorders and other cognitive disorders awesome that sounds amazing I, i'm so glad that someone is researching that and uh also i'm not very happy because you've given me another reason why i should exercise so <laughs> Uh, thank you, uh, but no, thank you. <laughs> so maybe I will uh, finish this recording and go for a quick run or something because now I feel like I'm gonna not remember the anything that happened. So actually, walking is just fine. All right, walking it is done. Deal. There we go. Don't even have to change for that. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking a minute to talk with us. I have a feeling that I'm going to remember this conversation for a long time. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope that everyone enjoyed our discussion with Natasha today about memory, remembering, and how we can strengthen our ability to remember things. And if you don't remember it, there is one thing that you definitely do need to remember, is that there are archives available on CFRU.ca, so you can listen to this episode a hundred times and truly commit it to your memory. But before we leave off for the day, we are, as we always do on We Know Some Stuff, going to do a short re-explanation of a few things and a fact check or two. Because as scientific communicators, we know that we don't always get everything right, so it's important for us to correct our wrongs and clarify anything that's still a little bit murky. The first thing worth clarifying would be when Natasha spoke about taking a picture of the brain. In reality, Natasha doesn't necessarily take a picture of the brain. It's not like she's opening up someone's skull, taking a Polaroid camera out, snapping a picture, shaking it a bunch of times until it develops, and then putting the skull back on. She uses a machine called an MRI. Of course, we said in the episode that you might have gotten one done if you were at a hospital uh, to get something imaged. Maybe like if you had kidney stones or you had something wrong with your liver, you would use an MRI to get an image. To be more clear on what an MRI is, it's important to note that Natasha actually uses what we call an FMRI. 
So an MRI stands for a magnetic resonance imaging. MRIs use a type of energy very similar to uh, the waves of energy that allow you to listen to the radio. So we emit these radio waves and we watch as there are changes in the magnetic field. Basically, some atoms do a little flipping and turning, and we can watch these types of things happen due to metabolic activity that's happening in your brain. And by metabolic activity, we mean, you know, basically movement that is happening in your brain. So when you think about something a little bit different, like, like, imagine you're thinking about a cat. Different parts of your brain are going to kind of light up and that is the metabolic activity. And we're able to see that lighting up by the changes in the magnetic fields and the emitted radio waves, uh, which is how we sort of build an image of something. Now, Natasha uses an fMRI. And what's special about this is that a mathematic equation, or what we call a Fourier transformation, is done on these signals uh, in order to help us image the magnet. Now, Fourier transformation, that is two to three episodes of its own. So we'll leave that as it is. So more or less, MRIs kind of are like taking a picture of the brain. So it's not entirely false, but it could always use just a little extra clarification. Another fact check out there would be that the sensitivity index that Natasha talked about how each human has a slightly different uh, ability to remember or not remember, and if they truly remember or if they don't remember. Uh, it is also called a discriminability index. So if you're looking online for that kind of thing, look for either sensitivity index or discriminability index. And the third fact check would be that when Natasha was explaining about brain games that you might find on your mobile phone, saying that they have uh, long-term benefits on your ability to remember things, she was not entirely wrong, but also not entirely correct. Because the science is still a little out on this. There are a lot of publications that say this is very good for your brain. And then there's a lot of publications that say that it actually doesn't do too much for your brain. A lot of things to consider in this is how the apps are developed, how the games are played, how often you play, how long you play them for... All of these different factors, it's important to note that we can't just make a general statement and say that these games are good for your brain. If you want to read more about these brain training games, there is a link on the website that you can find attached to the show page on CFRU.ca. Another fact check out there is that this person, HM, uh, the person that we talked about that had a good chunk of their hippocampus removed because of epilepsy issues, they were not able to create new long-term memories, but they still could do some motor learning, like learning how to draw and learning how to ride a bike. But regardless, the patient would not necessarily remember that they had practiced these motor skills. So they don't develop that long-term memory of, oh yes, this was the process in which I learned to ride a bike, but they can still learn to ride a bike. And that is all we have for fact checks and reef clarifications for today's episode. Remember this episode or not, it was a pleasure having you listen to another episode of We Know Some Stuff. <laughs>